your Bibles this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 as we continue on. As you know, we started by uh, talking about uh, love and its prominence uh, and then we started looking at different pictures of love, beginning in verse number, verse number four. We are on part six. Tonight, I think we probably will cover more than one of these, but we're going to start with this phrase found in verse number five. It tells us here that love doth not behave itself unseemly. Might be a good time if we just stop and think about what we think about whenever we hear the word love. Somebody might think about it in terms of tennis. It doesn't mean anything to them. And somebody else, you know, they might think about a fireplace or flickering candles, soft music or wedding bells, Valentine's Day. They might think about a mother's devotion to her child or Maybe you think about a soldier's sacrifice for his country. Uh, but whatever you think about, I hope through these studies we all have a better picture of what love is really all about. And uh, sometimes as we see here, uh, love is about something more than what we normally associate it with. And in this in this phrase tonight, we see that love has to do with politeness. It does not behave itself unseemly. Nothing in the world is more practical than genuine Christianity. And uh, here's a good example of what I'm talking about. It's not unseemly. That means to behave in a manner that is unbecoming and uh, talks about poor manners, for example, or rudeness. Love is not rude. That, that's the point he's trying to make. Love is not rude. And uh, somebody says, boy, this is, just seems to me like such a minor matter. But it's really not, because whenever you study your Bible, you discover that manners and morality go together. You can't just do away with one without doing away with the other. And and Paul is letting us know here that love isn't rude. Love is a is a gentleman, in other words. And uh, love is considered the needs and the feelings of others. And like some writer said many years ago, he said politeness has been defined as love in trifles. Courtesy is said to be love in little things. The uh, the one secret of politeness is love, and, and that, that's certainly true, uh, because the rudeness and the crudeness that we see in the world today can be attributed to a, a lack of love one for another. It would be gone were it not for that, because real love is not going to intentionally be offensive to other people. Now, as we think about this, we need to, again, as I've mentioned before, we need to apply it to the situation that existed at Corinth. It's easy to see how it relates, because back in chapter number 11, for example, he tells us about this rudeness, their attitude uh, concerning the Lord's Supper, uh, not only indicated their their 
disrespect for the ordinance. And by the way, that is such a horrible, terrible thing uh, to think about disrespecting the ordinance uh, of the Lord's Supper or baptism for that matter. But it reveals more than that. It showed that there was a lack of concern for other people because uh, these people got together and basically, if I read it right, they'd kind of turned it into what we might call a fellowship supper and it turned into a meal, something to enjoy rather than, rather than something to observe, uh, you know, as a result of picturing the sacrifice of Christ. But they refused to wait on one another. In, in, in other words, whatever time it was supposed to start, as soon as they got their little group together there, you know, their closest friends, it's kind of like, let's go. It, it'd kind of be like us deciding that uh, uh, to start at 5.30 because it just so happened that some of our favorite people came 30 minutes early, and so we would start, and everybody else come, you know, at 6 o'clock, and, and they could tell, well, we're just about through with the service, you know. What, what happened? Oh, we got here. We figured we'd just go ahead and start and show total inconsideration for you. And, and the text here is telling us love doesn't do that. This word unseemly is interesting. It speaks about that which is contrary to form or to fashion or, or the, the manner of what is proper. It's an act of defiance uh, regarding social or moral standards. And it involves, you know, generally we think about just from the aspect of our words. And we certainly can express rudeness by way of words, and it includes that. But it goes beyond that. It also has to do with our attitude. It also has to do with our apparel, and it has to do with our appearance. So it involves all of those things. In other words, it might be that you would never think about uttering, uh, you know, an unkind word to anyone else. You wouldn't do that. But it might be that your attitude reflects uh, a lack of love in that it is unseemly, it's unbecoming for a Christian, or it might have to do with your appearance and your apparel. Listen, all of those things make a difference. It's like the old saying, you never get a second chance to make a good first impression, and that's true. Somebody comes in and they look around and, you know, and whether they should or not, they're going to sit in judgment of us. If our attitude's not what it's supposed to be, what it should be, uh, consequently, they're going to draw some conclusions about us. And, and surely everybody knows, and as I've said so many times, you know, it's strange to me that they have a dress code on airplane flights. You have a dress code in courtrooms. You, in other words, you've got to please the judge in a courtroom. You do. You can't go in there wearing anything you want. And somewhere or another, we live in a day and an age in church where it's just kind of like anything goes. Now, certainly I don't think everybody needs to wear a tuxedo to church. That's not the point. But I think we all realize at some point, at some point there's got to be a line between what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. 
isn't there? I mean, we don't want to, we don't want just anything goes kind of a deal. We ought to, in, in the Lord's house, we ought to dress appropriate. We ought to behave appropriately. This is what he's saying, that, that love is not unseemly. It doesn't behave itself in a way that's unbecoming of Christians. And, uh, surely we need to rediscover that. I read a story. It was related to Stephen Cole that I found interesting. It was about this couple, and they've been married for many, many years. And this fellow, for whatever reason, you know, one of those, he had the attitude, you know, uh, well, I told her once that I love her, and if I ever change my mind, I'll let her know. But his thing was had to do with opening the door, and he had made the statement. Uh, he 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 said that she doesn't have two broken arms. She open the door for herself. You know, it was a joke to him. Well, it so happened that she died. And uh, on the particular day of her funeral, uh, he was standing by the hearse and the pallbearers were bringing the the body out. And uh, the funeral director happened to know this fellow by name. And so he said to the man, he said, open the door for her, will you please? And so he put his hand on the door the the hearse to open it and all of a sudden it hit him like a ton of brick and he just froze because for the first only and last time in his life he opened the door for his wife and all of a sudden all of those regrets came crashing in around him uh what what a, what a horrible thing to you know to to have to, to to get slapped in the face like that, that you, you go through life refusing to even open the door. Now, I realize that some couples got this unwritten agreement and it's your business. You Look, you you got to live with your husband or your wife and it's not my business in that sense. And, you know, if she or he is pleased with your behavior, why, uh, I guess it shouldn't bother me. But I don't think there's ever an excuse for us not being a, a gentleman or ladies being ladies. I, I think, you know, that's something that, that ought to be important to us, regardless of who we are, regardless of where we are. And, and you know, the, the, the standards of morality doesn't change just because we leave the church building, uh, regardless of where we are. And so we need to look at the situation there at Corinth and and consider the seriousness of the matter as it relates today. In fact, now listen to this. Peter puts this in the form of a command. Now, he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 8, Finally, be ye all of one mind. Well, wouldn't that be wonderful? Everybody be of one mind. No, you know, no, no disagreements, no arguments, no bickering. Having compassion one of another. And then he says, love as brethren. Be pitiful, and here it is, be courteous. I don't know. We live in a day where some people have got the idea that it is pious to be uncultured. There are preachers that today that make fun of us preachers who still wear a tie to church. They really do. Uh, it's a, become a big thing for them to wear to wear their Levi's and their golf shirt. And by the way, you know that that's that's their business. I I don't feel comfortable doing that. And uh, about as 
you know, about as casual as I want to get is what you see tonight whenever, uh, for whatever reason, I, occasionally on Sunday night I don't wear a tie. But I think it's important that we, uh, that we represent the Lord well. And, and he says here that we are to be courteous. I, several years ago, and this, this started, well, I'm not sure it started in Berkeley, but it was a big deal in Berkeley, and that's back during the day of the Jesus movement, they called it. I remember being in Tulsa, Oklahoma in a conference there, and there was this fellow that, that had come from Berkeley, by the way. He'd come right off the campus of Berkeley. He was involved in the Christian ministry, and he was one of these guys that had the the attitude that it doesn't make any difference, and they uh, they would come in. The same thing happened, and I won't mention the other place, and I heard some of our Baptist brethren bragging about, oh, yeah, I attended church up there, such and such town. You know, it's a college town. They were sitting on the floors, had their shoes off, and sitting cross-legged on the floors instead of in the pews. They'd just crowd down. and They, they thought that was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Look, at some point, you know, we've, we've got to decide that this is the house of God and we need to repre- represent God well in what we do. Are you with me? I'm not trying to nitpick. I'm just saying that this matter of courtesy ought to be important to us. So many times we, we get out of balance and we think all we need is is muscle and we need manners. We think, you know, all we need is toughness and we need some tenderness. We need, uh, like one one preacher wrote a book called Blue, Dem- Blue Denim and Lace. And, uh, and uh, we, we need to think about that. There ought to be the tough side and the tender side of us. And uh, certainly it doesn't make, make a, a man a sissy just because, you know, that he's got good manners and he's refined and, and has some culture about him. I don't think we can expect others to believe that we are really sincere Christians unless we reflect the love of Christ. And notice, and what it, what is this love? It doth not behave itself unseemly. In other words, it fits into what is the accepted standard and rule of conduct. And like A.T. Pearson wrote, he said, Manners are to conduct what the bloom is to the peach, the perfume to the rose. It's difficult to describe, but it's easy to detect. Now, it's a pretty good way of saying, you know, it's just really difficult for us to try to put into words. Now, this is good manners and this is not good manners or whatever, but, but you never have a problem detecting it, do you? You smell a peach, and you know that's a peach. You smell a rose, you know it's a a, a rose. And and so there there ought to be something about our life that others can detect that we are a well-mannered person that behaves ourselves in a a way that is respectable to others in a way that is becoming of the word Christian. Richard Taylor wrote a book many years ago. It's called The Return to Christian Culture. It's a little bitty paperback book, and, and I just fell in love with, with it, and that's been probably 40 years ago. And I jotted down this one little section, and I want to share it with you. He said, Good character is, of course, more important than good manners. Better to be pure than merely polished. 
to have a clear conscience than a trained voice, to have integrity than finesse in the social courtesies, but it doesn't have to be either or. Why not both purity and polish? If we have a Christian view of things, we will not be content with a character which stops at ethical soundness and fails to include cultural accomplishments. The bottom line of that is that manners matter. Manners matter. And love is not unseemly. Now, let's look at another picture of love. This is actually number seven. And here we see the preference of love. Verse number five again, and Paul says that love seeketh not her own. Well, that tells you why love doesn't behave itself unseemly, right? In other words, it isn't rude because it's not, because it's thinking of others first. It seeketh not her own. I, everybody here tonight, if we took a survey and said, do you, do you think the, the world has any serious problems? Well, we would all vote in the affirmative. We'd all say, yeah, this world has got a lot of serious problems and we could all make our list. But not everybody could get to the root of the problem. We can all see that there is a problem, the fruit of the problem, but we never get to the root of the problem when in reality it's right there in front of our eyes. And, and I think Frank Sinatra unwittingly, unwittingly identified the root of the problem whenever he sang, I did it my way. That is exactly what's wrong with the world today. That's what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And notice what Paul says here, that love seeketh not her own. In other words, it's not about everything being our way, but rather it's about having an interest and a concern for other people, being not rude toward other people. You look at history, and it's the record of man pitting himself against other people in order to get what he wants. And the self-seekers just shove their way through life. You know, whether you're talking about about Hitler or whoever it is, and they see something they want, and if it's Alexander the Great, and he wants that, that country over there, he just takes the army, conquers the country, takes it, and uh, and it becomes his. That That's just... You know, the, the same thing on a smaller scale goes on in high schools all of the time. You know, some of them, the, the, the crowd that bullies others in order to intimidate them and to get what they want. And, and it do us all good to ask ourselves, what is it that we are seeking in life? What are you seeking? What are you looking for? What are you, what is your great concerns for in life? Well, you know, if, if they're honest, most people have to say, well, yeah, I, I've got my name at the top of the list. Now, I've got this long list of things I'm seeking, but right on the top is my name. And the things that they seek are things that are associated with what they want. But again, and it, listen, it might be possessions, it might be pleasure, it might be popularity, it might be power, it might be prestige, it might be any uh, any of those things or all of those things. 
that people are seeking. And they think to themselves, you know, boy, if I can just get that, I will arrive. My life will be uh, complete. I'll be satisfied. I'll be happy uh, if I can just gain those things. But that's not love. Because love seeketh not her own. Vans Havner and uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, he had a lot to say about this word seeketh. And, uh, and I want to share it with you tonight. He said the word seeketh is the Greek word uh, zeto, which means to seek. However, it was also used to depict a person who is so upset about not getting what he wanted that he turns to the court system to sue or to demand what he is striving to obtain. Remember, that's what happened in Corinth, right? And, and then he goes on and he says, instead of taking no for an answer, the person is so intent on getting his own way that he will search, seek, and investigate, never giving up in his pursuit to get what he wants. In fact, he's so bent on getting his way that he'll twist the facts, look for loopholes, put words in other people's mouths, try to hold others accountable for promises they never made, leap on administrative mistakes as opportunities to twist someone's arm, or seek uh, 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 various other methods to turn situations to his own benefit. This is manipulation. There's no doubt that Paul had the image of a manipulating, scheming person in his mind when he wrote this verse. Have you ever met such a person? End of quote. You know, some of us might have to look at that and say, well, I... <laughs> You know, that's me. I not only met a person like that, that, that is me. That's kind of characteristic of what my behavior is like. Love seeketh not her own. So this word has to do with us seeking or desiring something to the extent that Havner just mentioned there. But it also goes beyond that in that it, it speaks about being desperately driven to get what we want. Uh, and, and one, one thing, you know, to say, I want this is another thing to be desperately driven, uh, to, to get it. And, and some people are, uh, radical and fanatical about nothing else mattering in life except they get what they want. Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 28, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom. So the question is, how Christ-like are we? In, in other words, he says here, the Son of Man did not come to get, to gain, to be ministered to, but rather to minister to others. And, 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 and certainly those of us that are followers of Christ ought to imitate Christ. Thomas Kempis wrote the book, in fact, Imitation of Christ, and he said, Wheresoever a man seeketh his own, there he falleth from love. And that is absolutely right. If my, if my only interest is in me and no interest in other people whatsoever, it's, it's a, a evidence that there's no love in my life. And all we have to do is stop and think what a different world this would be if we would all stop doing it our way and start having the, uh, others, uh, and their interest, uh, 
in mind and, and ministering to them as Christ did rather than sitting back and ha- having this entitlement mentality, give me, give me, give me, that we have rather an attitude that says, you know, I want to serve, I want to reach out, I want to, I want to be a blessing. And that's why Paul said in Philippians 2, and by the way, if you've never studied that chapter, you ought to go home and study the entire chapter and you'd be doing yourself a big favor because it deals with having a submissive mind. It has to do with having the mind of Christ, being like Him. But in verse number 4, it says, Look not every man on his own things. Isn't that what, what most people do? And he says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And so, you know, we're, we're to look at the, at the, the, the needs and desires and so forth of all of those that are around us instead of just looking at ourselves. C.S. Lewis, and I know many of you are familiar with him, and certainly you got to be careful about his theology. He wasn't right on everything, but he made some remarkable statements. And um, he made this observation. He said, we say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or clever or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. And the first time I read that, I scratched my head and said, what did he say? And then the more I look at it, I thought, wow, that's, that is really a, an interesting observation that he made because there are people talking about they're they're so proud that they're able to do this and and so proud that they've got this and they've got that they're they're not proud of their accomplishments really they're just proud they've got something or they can do something that other people can't do and and if that was eliminated there would be no pride on their part regarding those things. But the point is that it's love that makes the difference there. Because if we're, if we're looking out as he says, look every man on not his own things, but every man on the things of others, all of a sudden it takes that, that jealousy factor out of the equation and it, it certainly puts to death pride because we're not, we're not concerned about ourselves as much as we are about others, and that's why a lot of times we talk about the most miserable person on earth. Well, it's it's not the drunk on the bar stool. Now, he might be miserable, he might be desperate, but there are people more miserable than him. You, know, you see, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of those fellows, they don't have enough sense to know that they're, uh, that they're in a bad shape. A lot of them, you know, they just, they're happy as a lark, you know, at least till they... A hangover hits them, and then they work their way through that, and it's right back to the bar room. But, but the most miserable person is the child of God and the will of God, or out of the will of God, and, and, and you know, knowingly doing those things that are displeasing to the Lord, and the result of that is what? The result of that is misery, because the Holy Spirit convicts our heart uh regarding our sins. He doesn't let us sin successfully. That's the point. Let me close by reading what F.E. Marsh wrote. He said, Love's song 
is not my own, I'm purchased by the blood of Christ. Love's work is not my own labor, I am but an instrument to be in Christ's service. Love's aim, not my own pleasure, I seek to please my Lord. Love's desire is not my own ambition, I am constrained by the love of Christ. Love's testimony is not my own words, it is the message of Christ. Love's ministry is not my own honor, it is for the glory of Christ. Love's seeking is not my own way, I follow in the steps of Christ. I don't know how you could say anything better than that. That's kind of like saying, you know, uh, I didn't do it my way. I didn't do it my way. It is a preference for others rather than self. And that... That's the point, that love is polite, and love also has a preference for others. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you tonight for the greatness of your love that's been demonstrated toward us, and as we go through this this list of things that are characteristic of love, we we realize more and more that, uh, that you are all of that and even more than our mind can imagine, more than we could ever even think about explaining. And Heavenly Father, we realize tonight how uh, how much we fail and how desperately we want to succeed and uh, realizing that without you, there's absolutely no hope of any change in our lives. So we pray that you'll help us and strengthen us and enable us to be the kind of people you would have us to be, for we ask it in Jesus' name.